0: All right, we started several weeks ago a series called Greater Than, and a really simple idea that while we may not be the strongest, the smartest, uh, the most capable all of the time, we worship a God who is great, and that has quite a bit to do with how we live and the confidence with which we live. The Hebrew word gadol means great, and so our God is a very gadol God, a very great God. Um, It's one of the motives for us to gather, for us to worship, for us to be in awe of God is His greatness, His gadol. It also changes the way that we live. Knowing that we are connected to a God who is far greater than any problem or challenge that we will face. Kind of a game changer. Um, As Paul said, I love this. This is one of my favorite New Testament passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about how this affects the way that we live, especially when we have difficulties. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is not from ourselves. And then Paul continues, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. And then he finishes by saying, we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. So Paul, there are no illusions here. Uh, He's not telling us everything is perfect for believers. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you never... No, he says, we get knocked down. We get pressed by troubles, but he says, because our great power is not from ourselves, but it's from God, we can get back up. And we can be more than conquerors. Paul really nails it. For believers, we struggle. We're like fragile clay jars. We'll encounter troubles, but we can overcome because our power comes from a great, great God. So over the past few weeks, we've talked about what this means. What does it mean for God to be greater than my loneliness? For Him to be greater than my fears, greater than my sin, and today greater than my bitterness. I read something this week that was um, interesting. Uh, Apparently, some folks studying the animal kingdom have been looking at conciliatory behavior among all sorts of different species of animals. That means, how do they um, relate to each other after they are injured or hurt by another animal? And most... Uh, Virtually all animal species of a certain level uh, Exhibit conciliatory behavior They will uh, stroke each other or kiss or groom each other After some offense has been committed Basically kind of forgive and forget Now there is one species They studied primates, chimpanzees and gorillas They studied hyenas and goats, non-primates The one species they found in which they found no conciliatory behavior were domestic cats <laughs> seriously really domestic cats do not forgive and do not forget so be very careful with fifi this week just know whatever m- mistakes you made fifi is not forgetting and is not for- it's true google that all right well, you know there is another species as well, and that's us. We struggle with forgiving, and we struggle with moving on. We struggle with bitterness as well. Uh, Paul told the Christians in Ephesus. He said in Ephesians four thirty one, "Put away from you all bitterness. Get rid of it. It's a command in the Bible to Christians." Get rid of your bitterness. Don't be that person. Um, And the roots, you know this, the roots of bitterness, they grow so quickly. And they can so encompass our hearts and emotions. Paul ran across a man, or Peter rather, ran across a man of Samaria we know as Simon the sorcerer, um, who heard Peter's preaching, was touched by Peter's preaching, but who had a, 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 a deep struggle with bitterness in his heart. Peter told Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, verse 23, For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. I think the very first thing he says to to, to Simon is interesting. For I see it is one of the emotions that you can actually see on the on the, is it the physiognomy or the, or the, the countenance on the, on, on the face of a person? You can see, even if you don't know them, but maybe you see them in public or have some brief encounter Some people are just bitter and they just wear it. Well, Peter looked at, Simon. I see that Simon, I see that you are a bitter person and then the other thing, you're a captive. It really does. It's one of those emotions that can actually imprison and, and captivate a, a person. It doesn't let go easily. Um, some folks seem to almost relish being bitter. Um, it seems to be kind of the air that they breathe. It seems to be that one emotion around which they order their lives. This low-grade anger and resentment and it reminds me of one of the Proverbs, Proverbs 27, verse 7. He who is full loaves honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. There are people who are emotionally full. They are so loved. They know that they are treasured by God. They know how deeply and, and powerfully the Lord esteems them. Their cup is full. And then there are people who are so grace starved, so famished, so hungry, their spirit so empty that they crave even what is bitter. And they will feed upon that bitterness. Our Lord and Savior grieves when His precious children live like that. Hear the word of the Lord in Hebrews 12, verse 15. See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God and that no bitter root comes to cause trouble and to defile many. Does bitterness... Or rather, can bitterness defile a friendship? Of course. Can it defile a marriage? Can it defile a workplace when somebody at, at, at your office is just bitter? Of course, you know that. I know that. Um, it defiles. When people possess this fortune of God's grace and love and they don't even know it. They feel poor, spiritually destitute, orphaned by God. They don't know the reality of the riches we have in Christ, and so it can defile and hold them captive. But God is, is greater than that. First John chapter 3, verse 20, listen to this one. First John 3, verse 20, it says this, God is greater than what? Our feelings. God is great. You, you think, I'm a bitter person. I, there's no way out. No, the, God is greater than our feelings. And He knows everything. Every time you've been ripped off, every time you've been betrayed, every time you've been insulted, every offense, John says, He knows it all. And He is greater. Than our emotions, and the word there, emotions, is Cardius heart. He's bigger than your heart. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad I worship a God who's bigger than my petty, small heart. Um, his love, His grace, even the bitterest heart can be set free. Okay, so Matthew chapter 18, you probably remember this story. Um, the apostle Peter, all right? So he's watching Jesus love on people and heal people and teach grace and love to folks. And, and he has this question for, um, for Jesus about forgiveness. Really, he's asking about forgiveness. Jesus is going to talk about bitterness. He says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Seven times? Seven. Is that how many? Of course, he's thinking Jesus is gonna be like, wow, man, you, Peter, you are so forgiving seven times because the common understanding of the day, what the rabbis were going around saying was you only need to forgive somebody three times. Okay? According to the law. You forgive they they sin against you, you you forgive them. They sin again, you forgive them. They sin again, you forgive them. Fourth time, No need to forgive. So Peter asked Jesus seven times. He takes that number, he doubles it, and he tacks one on top for good measure. Is that how many times, Jesus? And instead of getting that pat on the back of of Jesus saying, man, Peter, you are such a gracious, wonderful forgiving person, Jesus says, try 70 times seven 490 times. Try that on. And that's why I think this passage is not... It's about forgiveness. But I think it's more about bitterness. Forgiveness tends to be about one offense, one crime, one injustice, and encountering that. When you get up into 490 500, you're talking about a certain kind of heart, a certain kind of spirit. So it's about forgiveness. It's also about bitterness. It's about this kind of heart. And so Jesus, as he often does, is going to tell us a story about our hearts. Here it goes. Matthew chapter 18, verse, starting in verse 23. Here's the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king... "...who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors who was brought in owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt." But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me. I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand bucks. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me. I'll pay it back, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in jail until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you... That's the key verse right here. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. Jesus says, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters from the heart. So Jesus in this story gives us really incredible insight, kind of pulls the curtain back on our hearts and shows us what a bitter heart looks like. Not only that, thankfully he shows us the way out. Now the first thing Jesus is going to tell us about escaping this prison, this dungeon of bitterness, is that we need to understand the magnitude of the toll of bitterness. We need to come to terms with the very high price that we are paying for our bitterness. So the first thing there on the outline this morning you can write down is understand the high cost of bitterness. Just know what it's doing to you. In the parable he says in verse 34 that this, this debtor is turned over to the jailers to be tortured. That's the image that Jesus paints in the story that he's telling What a great image. I mean, not a great image, but a great image in that it's pretty accurate that bitterness is like being locked up in a prison. It is a heart that is held captive by unforgiveness. I've heard it said before that bitterness is what happens when a hurt becomes a hate and every single person check this out every all of us are going to experience hurt at the hands of other people okay if you're living here today you don't have the option of making it through life without being hurt by another person your boss is a sinner your wife is a sinner, Your kids are sinners. Your colleague, your best friend is a sinner. Your neighbors are sinners. You are a sinner. We're all sinners. We're going to go around hurting each other. Newsflash. It's going to happen. OK? Now, what you do with all of these hurts, well, that's up to you, OK? Um, know this, the cost of unresolved anger, of living with a bitter spirit, the cost is very high. Um, I won't bore you with the medical research, but there's actually scientific research that's been done on the medical consequences of unforgiveness, of bitterness, of how it affects life expectancy, of how it makes people more susceptible to diseases, stuff like that. But basically, in this prison of bitterness the individual has made a choice pain is going to be my lifestyle Okay, Um, even if good things happen even if there are glimpses of joy in my life the storyline of my life is that I'm a victim that I hurt and so they always seem to go back to that life theme that they have chosen The phrase Jesus used in verse 34 is so powerful. The man had been turned over to the jailers to be tortured. That is a tortured existence, being a bitter person. Who are the jailers who torture the bitter person? The memories the memories of every hurt, of every betrayal, of every disappointment that they will not let go of. Those are the jailers. And so there is this high cost to our spirits if we are to live locked in the prison of resentment. And so understanding that, as painful as that may be, understanding that is the first step toward being set free. The next thing Jesus tells us is that is that being set free also involves cultivating a gracious spirit. A gracious spirit. Um, the kind of gracious, beautiful heart is illustrated by the master in the story that Jesus tells. Has the master, or the king, has he been wrong? Yes, he's been wronged. This guy owes him millions of dollars and is missing payment after payment after payment. Finally comes in and says, I can't pay you. You're not going to get what you are owed by me. The master has been wronged. But verse 27, the master of that servant was moved with Compassion. That helps because we know that our Master, God, has looked on us with this compassion, this expansive mercy. We wronged Him. We owe a sin debt to Him that we cannot ever, ever pay back, and He looks at us with compassion he looks the father looks at you with the eyes of grace and now that we have experienced this grace we can look at other people with this grace and it's a big deal because we're sinners. Everyone around us is a sinner, so we need to offer the benefit of the doubt to others. We need to treat others with, with charitable judgments, with grace, because they're gonna let us down. It's a generous spirit. And we need to be honest here. Um that's not the norm. Okay. We don't. I, I think it's safe to say. I think it's safe to say we don't live in a time and a place where the norm is people treating people who have wronged them graciously. Giving people the benefit of the doubt. Instead, it kind of... Here's kind of the norm. All right, let me put it this way. The norm is when I look at you and your failings, for example, when you get angry... It's because you have a hot temper. When I get angry, well, that's because I'm having a bad day. I'm just having a bad day. You're an angry person. (laughs) Um, Or when you don't like someone, it's because you're a prejudiced person. When I don't like someone, it's because, well, I'm an excellent judge of character. when you are working on a project at work and you're slow and you're missing deadlines it's because you are you're just a slow worker when I'm missing deadlines it's because I'm a perfectionist and I demand absolute perfection and so it may take me a little longer because I want to get it right when you sleep till 11 a.m. in the morning it's because you're lazy when I sleep till 11 a.m. in the morning it's because I'm hey I'm exhausted but that's how we tend, to, we tend to give ourselves grace. We look through the lens of mercy and expansiveness and generosity with respect to our failings. Jesus says, let's, let's do that for other people. Let's do that for other people. Um, so we're going to follow Jesus... Part of that means offering other people grace. Another way that we're set free from bitterness is this. It is to appreciate the grace that you have received or that you are receiving. Appreciate that. Live as a grateful person. In the parable, verse 27, the master released him. The master forgave him the debt. And we know Jesus isn't really talking about ledgers He's not really talking about credit card debt or mortgage debt. He's talking about us. He's talking about our sin debt. And if you're new here at Preston Crest, one of the things you notice after two or three weeks is we take communion or whatever your tradition, Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, we take it every single Sunday. Some places will do it once a month. Other places will do it once a quarter. And I'm not judging those folks, but I'm saying we do it every Sunday because it reminds us every week of the grace that we have received, of the cross, of the sacrifice of Jesus, of how God looked at us and said, you guys are sinners. You're never going to be able to pay me back. And with compassion, he said, your debts are forgiven. And so we stop down every Sunday. We break the bread, we drink the wine, and we remember just how incredibly blessed we are. Communion does not automatically ensure that we are grateful people, but it does help us to remember the centrality of the cross to who we are in our walk as disciples and who we are as a community of faith. And we're gracious because we've been on the receiving end of undeserved mercy. God's Word says in Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Amen? Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you for removing my transgressions from me. So, so Jesus really gives us a number of ways that we can be set free from the prison of bitterness. We understand the cost. We cultivate a gracious spirit. We understand the the enormity of the debt that has been forgiven us. And finally, he lets us know that we can let go and let God. Um, We can trust God to make things right. In the end of the story, the master makes things right. The master was angry and put the servant in prison to be punished. Justice is served. This servant is villainous. This servant is very upsetting to us. That he could be forgiven millions of dollars and then go out and grab this poor guy by the throat and have him tossed in prison for a fraction of that amount. And Jesus, in the end of the parable, says, that king's going to make that right. In the end, he's going to get what's coming to him. Justice will prevail. Now, here's the thing. Overcoming bitterness is an issue of faith. Do I believe that? Do I believe in God? Do I believe that God is just and good? Do I believe that God will be a fair judge? Will I trust Him to do that? Or do I have to take matters into my... Do I have to hold on to those wrongs because I don't trust that? i got to settle the score. And that makes me ask this question. Who is really... This is what you call a rhetorical question. Um, Who is really more qualified to judge... Me or God. God knows the motives of every heart. God knows the evil that has been done. And God hates the evil more than I will ever hate the evil. God knows every wrong that has been committed against me. The Bible says in no uncertain terms, God alone is qualified to be the judge. So I can just take off those robes, get off that bench, and let God be the judge. Because I believe in Him. I trust in Him. And I will yield and surrender my right to judgment to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And His judgments are perfect, are right every time. A great theologian once said, quote, I am never going back. The past is in the past. Let it go. Let it go. Okay, that was Elsa from the movie Frozen. Some of you you guys obviously knew that. Um, Still pretty spot on. The scriptures say, you really can let it go. You really can. Um, You can let go of an offense without letting go of justice, okay? Because you can allow justice to be taken care of by the Lord. Now, this is, not, uh, look, this is not a social commentary on social justice, ain't it? Just ignore it, okay? People are oppressed and marginalized and all this evil stuff is happening and we can just let that stuff go. No, it's not saying that. We need to stand up for the weak and the oppressed. We do. But we tend to stand up for ourselves when we feel like we've been wrong and to ignore when someone else is wronged. And that's the exact opposite of what we are to do. We are to overlook those offenses committed against us and to defend the weak and the poor who are wronged. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates that passage in Romans 12. He says this in the message. He says, Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting evil. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, God says. I'll take care of it. So as Christ followers, whether or not we live in the prison of bitterness is entirely up to us. Um, Because we walk in freedom. We don't have to live in that dark, confining place in the midst of these torturous memories. We know that God is in charge, and the God that we worship, He will make everything right. Now, obviously, we are going to stand up for those who've been oppressed and those who are on the outside looking in. But carrying around bitterness because of Personal wrongs that we've suffered? No. Not an option for disciples. Not an option. Let go and let God. We believe that God is qualified to judge, that He will make things right. We also believe that God can take some pretty awful stuff that happens. Some pretty wrong stuff that happens. And God can actually Use that for His glory and for our good. We believe that. In fact, the symbol of our faith is a cross. Think about that. Jesus, the incarnation of God. Jesus, who never sinned. Jesus, the one human being who had no sin debt with God who loved everyone, even his enemies. Jesus is arrested. Jesus is put on trial, if you could call it that, in the middle of the night at the high priest's house. Jesus is then turned over to this Roman execution squad who kills him. You want to talk about injustice? You want to talk about evil being done against an innocent person? And God takes that moment, that singular moment of horrendous injustice and suffering, turns it on his head and says, this moment is going to be the most redemptive moment in the history of the world. This moment is your hope, is your forgiveness. God can take even injustice and pain. And because He is greater than anything that we face, He can turn it into something that brings Him glory and that does good for us. Jesus hanging on the cross. Listen to how Peter describes how Jesus handled all of this. 1 Peter 2.23, He, Jesus, He did not retaliate when He was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Can you do that? Can you leave your case in the hands of God? Can you be set free from the prison of bitterness? The Scriptures, I'm so grateful for this, The Scriptures don't just point this accusatory finger and say, Bitterness is wrong! Quit being a bitter person, that's a sin. The Scriptures lovingly and gently show us the way out of that dungeon. Knowing the terrible cost that we pay for our bitterness, we can cultivate spirits of graciousness, look through the lens of grace at the other sinner's who we work with, who we live with, who we relate to. We can appreciate an overwhelming fullness of of gratefulness and thanksgiving at the enormous debt that our Lord has forgiven us. We can let go and let God, the perfect judge, take care of those wrongs that we're holding in our hearts. And this morning, it may be the case that you need to move out of this bondage to bitterness. You may be thinking, I hear what Jesus is saying, but I don't believe I can experience that. With all due respect, you can. You can experience freedom from that. As John told us earlier this morning, your God is greater than your emotions. Your God is greater than your heart. So, yeah, you, you can be free. Will you trust Him? Will you believe that? Will you follow Him out of that prison of bitterness? And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord, if you've never been, if you've never been baptized into Jesus and worn that forgiveness for yourself, you can do that this morning. Maybe you just need to pray about someone or something that has happened that you're having trouble turning loose of. Or maybe there's something else that's on your heart and you need the prayers of the family this morning. We would encourage you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a little bit and we would encourage you just to get together with somebody. Be somebody sitting by you, somebody on the other side of the room, a friend. Just pray over that. Turn that over to God this morning. Our God is so generous and gracious. Let's stand. Let's worship him now.